You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Sebastian, what would you say as somebody who has been a part of a reality show? Yeah. What's the most special thing about it? Or what huh. would you say, wow, this is why you should try and do it or live your life like a reality show? Yeah. Well, I think we should all be living our lives as if it was not necessarily a show for anyone else to watch or, you know, that common thing people say, if your life was a book, how would, it, what, what would the next chapter be, right? You know, you're the main mm. character. I do agree with all of that, but... Reality TV is an interesting thing because I sort of went into it thinking it's going to be this one thing. It's going to be this free-flowing, wonderful, fly-on-the-wall type of thing. And it's not. You know, it's a lot of you know, there's two producers on, on on our show there was. And, you know, I knew what the beginning of the scene had to be and the end of the scene. I had to work my way there. And, you know, the, the, the way it's edited, it's all – I think a lot of people watching this, listening to this will know. But it's not quite as free-flowing, organic as you would think. It's, it's actually quite pre-produced. And that was just a learning. There's a lot more to it than I thought. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it too. But my idea was, so, okay, quick backstory. So what would happen typically with my journey of 100 things is that someone, a stranger from wherever they were in the world would contact me and say, hey, this is something I'd like to do. And I can't do it by myself. Can you help? I would then share that story with, you know, on social media and people would get in touch and say, I can help that person. And then people around the world would connect to matchmake for, for kindness and this mm-hmm. person would end up you know, doing this amazing thing and people would feel good because they helped that happen. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought the show would be. Okay, that's interesting. And now to segue into 100 things. Mm. Tell me more. You kind of briefly talked about it, but for yes. our listeners, yeah. Okay, so I have a list of 100 things that I'm trying to do to be happier in life. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for 15 years. The onset of it was, you know, I finished school. I didn't know what to do. I went to university because someone said you should. I got my degree, I was in debt, I was three years older than I was at the beginning of it, and I just felt really lost still. I didn't know why that was, so I became quite curious, ended up backpacking around the world, aimlessly, like a lot of people do, and whilst I was overseas, one of my friends passed away back home in Australia, and I got the call, it was in the middle of the night in Canada, and I remember... Well, I don't remember most of the call after I got delivered the news, but I, I put the phone down, sat down on the ground next to the phone and just started contemplating life, you know. And, and I think in those moments when you're struck with loss like that, you contemplate the life of the person who's passed and then you contemplate your own life. And I remember thinking about So Chris, my friend, I went to school with Chris, I served, you know, drank beers, we were, you know, close friends. I remember thinking, well, if he got his 24 years again, he was 24 when he passed, I was 25, would he relive it the same way? Would he change things? Would he change everything? And I never got to ask him, but I realized that I concluded that I don't think he would have changed anything because he just lived a values-driven life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that was really special. Far too short a life, but well-lived. I then turned that hypothetical on myself and thought, well, if today was my last day, could I look back at everything that I'd done and say the same thing, that I wouldn't change it if I had another chance? Or would I change some things? And of course, almost instantly, having never looked at my life from that perspective, I just realized I would change most things. Didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my values were. I didn't have any goals. I was just drifting. I didn't have any sense of purpose or happiness 
which was the biggest thing for me. I realized I was unhappy and I thought, well, how do I become happier? What is happiness? So who knows? I certainly didn't then. And I just decided to write a list of things that I hoped would make me smile if I did them. So it was a very eclectic, abstract, you know, collection of these goals from marrying a stranger in Las Vegas to delivering a baby to living on the streets to walking across a country to visiting an inmate in death row. You know, things that for me I thought would not smile in the sense of bring me necessarily joy, but at least to use your word of curiosity, like just scratch that itch. Mm-hmm. I was curious to see how the world was, what was out there, who was I in all of this. So that was the beginning of my list. So I dropped everything in my life, committed to this list with no money. And here we are 15 years later. And of course, it's grown from this, this individual personal pursuit of happiness, perhaps purpose. And it's grown into this community of people. Because I think we're all in the same boat, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I didn't think it would. It wasn't a strategy. I didn't think I would write a book or have a reality show that no one saw. Uh, or, <laughs> you know, I'm on stages speaking, you know, a lot yeah. now. I didn't think any of that would happen. It's just all happened. But that's what 100 Things is. Initially a, a bucket list, quote unquote bucket list, and now a community of people. And, you know, all, all I think seeing that it's the right thing to do to try and be the best versions of ourselves via goal setting. Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. The experience you had with Chris is an experience that we call the deathbed question. Uh, Different question per se, but the same perspective kind of where we ask our clients to imagine far, far away into the future. Far, far away. A future far enough that you go, fine, yeah, I'll be dying at that time. So you're not restricting yourself to an age. Hmm. But basically, far, far away in the future, you're on your deathbed, you look at this moment and you say, how do you feel? And what would you like to be at this person? Right, And that immediately shifts the perspective of the person, if not immediately, eventually shifts the perspective of the person to say, fuck, I'm not living the life that I wanted to live yep. or I'm not living the moment the way I wanted to live. I'm not showing up the way I want to show up. So very similar question, just drawing from your experience. Did you already fulfill all the 100 things that no. you said for? No, I'm at 76. And, and interestingly, at the beginning, I thought if I do 100 things, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's, I've learned that's not the case. You know, yeah. you're not defined by those things. It's great to have goals, but I think you know, ultimately I feel like I'm just being myself, mm-hmm. which is to me the most important thing. I've learned who I am, mm-hmm. which is perhaps never evolving thing, but I'm being much closer to that as I was before. So yeah. So I have Give me an example of these hundred things. I'm just curious. I'm interested in knowing what kind of things <clears throat> did you write? Well, for me, I was really sheltered growing up. I had curiosity, but it was sort of stifled a little bit. My dad was, you know, they sort of kept us in line and me and my sister. And I don't know, I just didn't know myself. Well, I moved from England. I was born in Australia, moved to England. I actually lived in Norway as a baby for a while too. And we moved back from England to Australia when I was 14. So that kind of age where I think you start to grow up a little bit. And at a time where you're experimenting with, you know, kissing girls or maybe having a beer or whatever these things are as we grow up, I was too scared to do any of that. So I moved to Australia, didn't know anyone, and I was just really by myself. So for me, my list was based on, I want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to try things that I haven't tried before. You know, because we all have that, there's someone on the dance floor you want to go and talk to because you're attracted to, I would always run in the other direction. And that was Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to walk across and talk to that person now. Mm -hmm. And that's what my list is. So, you know, there were things I mentioned earlier, but you know, I wanted to meet people I hadn't met before. I wanted to, I threw a dart at a map and go to the country it landed on because it was just so random and, and mm-hmm. rogue. So I ended up in Mongolia. I wanted to <laughs> write a book because I hadn't written a book before. I wanted to raise money for a charity because I hadn't done that before. It was a lot of firsts. 
A lot of firsts, yeah, and experiences. And, you know, at first it was all about me quite selfishly, but I think in a healthy way. You know that analogy of putting your oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm. so that you can help other people. I I realized retrospectively that's kind of what happened. I was doing all these things. I uh, lived on a deserted island for a week. I, I slept on the streets for a week in Sydney. I did, you know, whatever these things were. And then people started getting in touch and someone asked for help one time and number 26 on my list was to help a stranger. So I ended up helping a guy who reached out. At this point, media was following me. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how, but it happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've created a list. I saw you on TV, I've created a list. Would you help me um, complete a half marathon? Now, the reason it was quite a special story is because Mark, and we've become friends now, is a quadriplegic, completely able-bodied, who's bitten by a tick in his mid-20s and got Lyme's mm. disease mm. and is now a quadriplegic because of that. Mm-hmm. He can't walk, can't move a muscle in his body, can't speak, mm-hmm. needs a 24-hour care team, everything, a ventilator to stay alive. And he just wanted me to push him, as I learned, in this half marathon. So I did that. Never helped anyone before. And so having done maybe at that point a year and a half of checking things from my list, this is the first time I helped anyone and I just felt amazing. I had an effect on someone, a positive effect. And I saw that he was stoked too because he had done something which to him maybe seemingly at one point was impossible and he had done it. And so that kind of then changed the trajectory of this, you know, me, me, me to, well, let's all just do this. And so so that's Mm -hmm. what sort of drives me at the moment, yeah. What's been some of the craziest or most fun experiences that you would go, you know what, that stands out as something. Clearly, your experience with Mark is one of them, oh, but what else? for sure. Well, I, you know, the first one, marrying a stranger in Las Vegas was so bizarre and I felt weird the whole time doing it, landing in Vegas by myself, thinking I'm going to actually try and find someone to marry me. It was it happened a day later. Like th- things like that. What, really? Just yeah. Just a day? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing what happens with the right attitude, even if it's fake. So my mum's from Mauritius, Little for those who don't know, Little Island country off of Madagascar, which is off of Africa. So I've always wanted to represent a country at something. So I start laughing when I think about this, it's so weird. I applied for a Mauritian passport, I got it, flew to Mauritius and just planned to stay there as long as it took to find a sport that they were so bad at that it made me the best mm-hmm. or, you know, good. So I tried a lot of sports and I ended up falling on rugby, which is, I've played a lot of rugby growing up in Australia. And I made the national Mauritian rugby team and we got flown to Botswana. We played in the African championships. Uh, We won. I had to learn the national anthem (laughs) (laughs) on the plane ride over. Yeah. So there's, it's things like that. And I I think the the things that truly bring me joy may sound cliche, but I've got to be honest, it's the things where I get to support other people, but also this idea of having affectance on a situation or people around you, you know, I've realized that I don't like to just be a bystander. I like to contribute in a way that has an effect on people. I did stand-up comedy, but for, mm-hmm. that was on my list because uh, it's petrifying, you know, this idea of getting onto a stage and having to actually make people laugh. So I did it. And, you know, I really enjoyed that. I did pretty well. But just seeing people react to something I was doing, because I, I always used to just like be in the in, lurking in the shadows, not doing much and... You know, I think we all have the ability to have a really positive effect on one or more people. And I have really enjoyed figuring out how I'm best able to do that for me. And everyone's Mm -hmm. different. But yeah, I love that idea. It's only a term I learned recently, but affectance. I think we all need that. Affectance. I've never heard this word before. A guy called Jackson, I'm going to butcher his last name, Kirchish, I think. Mm -hmm. He's a happiness coach. He lived as a monk for a while and is now, Mm -hmm. he created a course for a university here in America on happiness. He Mm -hmm. interviewed me and it's a term that he used. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you made it up. I don't question. I just, <laughs> just made sense to me. But yeah, the word was affectance, like, you know, which as I understood it to be was doing something which has a cause on, you know, mm-hmm. an effect on other people, like a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being by yourself. Like I'm 41 now and I'm just learning the absolute basics of life, which intellectually I know and have been told many times. But, you know, Jim Rowan says something to the effect of if you're, you're the average of the five closest people to you. Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard that. And everyone says it's good to be surrounded by good people and, mm-hmm. and a million versions of that. But I'm just realizing that now. I'm mm-hmm. just realizing it now and seeing it. I, I'm really intentional now with who I hang around with. And I've got to say, I feel, I mean, you know, we're a month into the new year and I feel amazing. And I, and I think about why I feel so good right now. And it's because I have consistently over this, you know, first 30 days or so of the year, just been around good people, mm-hmm. professionally, Personally, I, you know, I went on a trip to, I went back home to Australia for Christmas, which was great to see my, my family. My sister's pregnant. She's, you know, the first child. I'm going to be an uncle. Couldn't stop crying, by the way. And then <laughs> I, I went to Japan because there's two really good friends I've never traveled with before uh, invited me. In fact, one really good friend and, and a very good friend of his. And so I just thought, oh, I'm going to go. So I went to Japan and it was a big trip and I spent some money and I felt guilty in a sense because it's the beginning of the year and I was like, what am I, I'm meant to be working hard. But then mm. I just realized over there, oh, it's good to be around good people. Mm. And I came back and I saw that, that there was an effect on people who were watching my social media who saw that trip because it came out in the content I shared. And since I've been being back, just I've been very intentional. I, I created a goal setting event for my close friends, only 10 of us, really fun little event. Anyway, Mm-hmm. I'm learning the basics of life, I feel, and I'm 41 and I love mm-hmm. it. Being present, trying to be as present as I can. I'm on my phone a lot, I realize. In Japan, actually, I was watching this guy make sushi. He's a sushi artist and it was me and Matt, a very good friend now, but I, I met him there for all intensive purposes. I sort of knew him a little bit. And the joy that this guy had making sushi and the intentionality that he had, and from what I saw, the intentionality that there is and everything that everyone does in Japan was just <laughs> really refreshing to me. And I thought about my life, how intentional am I with the things that I do? Now, of course, with my goals, I am. But if I think about the way I work, I'm very reactionary. If an email pops up, I'll go and do that. And then I'll come back and I'll forget what I was doing. And I'm just, you know, I'm scattered. If I was going to be critical of myself, I'm quite scattered. So I've just been doing a lot of thinking lately about being present, being very intentional, being focused, having trust in this idea that there's enough time for everything. I used to try and squeeze everything into every moment. You know, if I went to catch up with friends, I'd bring my laptop just in case there was a 15 minute window to do some work. And I, you end up not working well and you're not being a good friend either. Yeah. So yeah, I'm learning the basics. This is something that I learned, I want to say maybe last or last last year, where I was taking a course on something and in the course they had an exercise. Like, well, it was a course on charisma. And they said, if you want to be more charismatic, you're going to find people that are more charismatic and be around them, see why you find them charismatic, so on and so forth. I thought that was a great filter to do anything. Like uh-huh. you just go, oh, what, what is it that I am aspiring for? And let's do a filter to anything. You can just put it against that filter and go, okay, who do I aspire to or who do I think is not aspired to, but more like inspired by, probably is a better word. Mm. And so one of the points, there's a point in the exercise I got to where I was like, hold on, who is it that I actually feel energized by? Like, let's just make it a global thing. Like, if I hang out with a person, I feel like energetically I'm uplifted. I am, like, more in tune, I'm more playful, I want to have more conversations, I'm not tired, you know, things like that. And then I went one step deeper and I said, okay, but who are the people that I hang out with all the time that I'm actually, like, kind of depleted by? 
a little yeah. bit, right? And so I made a list and we host a lot of gatherings at our house. And some of the gatherings, and I was writing down as I write, wrote down the names, so I was like, wow, there's some people who are like a five, which means mm. I would say hi and want to run away because just like they deplete the crap out of me. And I recognized the more I hung out with people that I was rating a little bit higher, and it sounds really crude because you're rating people, but mm. it's my energy that I was rating, not really the person. Mm. It's like, what do you, how do I feel on a scale of one to 10? And so it's like, as I was doing it, I was like, holy shit, I see why I don't enjoy some of our parties. Like I am doing the party, we are hosting, Nita's yeah. a great host and I think I'm an okay host. Uh, but sometimes I would be like trying to hide and I'll be like, I'm done, like I need a break and mm. so on and so forth. And I realized that's because I'm just inviting a, a mix of people, but a lot of times a group of people that are not fulfilling or fueling me. Nothing wrong with them. It's mm. just how I respond to that energy. Mm. It's not good. And I recognized the moment I started to say, okay, can we like not invite these people? Like, it's okay. Like, it's not their world with end or my world with end. It's like they're acquaintances, maybe friends sometimes. But if, what if we didn't invite or didn't have conversation? And I realized I used to always identify with the word introvert. You know, introvert's classic definition is, you know, you don't like big gatherings. You don't want to hang out. If you hang out after that, you're depleted. You mm-hmm. need to go be by yourself for several hours. And I would be like, oh, that's me, right? And that's what everybody would think is who I am because that's how I would show up pretty much every time. And I realized once I did that exercise that I wasn't an introvert anymore. Hmm. Because I wouldn't, like I literally would be still there with the one person, even after the party's over, we're yeah. still hanging and talking, right? Yeah. We are supposed to end at 7 or 8 and I'm still there at 10 o'clock talking right. to whoever there was at the party that still was there. I was there and I wasn't hiding, I wasn't doing anything and it wasn't that after the party I was like, oh, now I need to go to bed. No, I was still like, I was like as if, no, it's great. It was right. great, it was super fun, I love it. And so kind of, Relating to your experience is like if you hang out with people that are the right why, for the lack of a better word, because I don't really know how to define, I can't put like five step or five qualities of a person that I can say, that's the person I need to hang out with. I don't think it's as clear as that for me. Yeah. But there's an energetic balance, I feel like, which you go, oh, I feel like this person, you know, this is the person. Yeah. I think it's almost like chemistry, you know. Yeah. You know, to be clear, I think you use that with a with reference to you know, dating. Is there chemistry between me and that person? But I think it's the same for friendships and and work relationships. You know, yeah. as you say that, I start thinking about that flow state. You know, when everything's just timeless and it doesn't matter, and you're in that moment and you become present, and that's the only thing you're thinking about. And those are really special moments. In the same way, yeah, I'm just starting to think about that a lot more. You don't only feel energy in the moment, but you leave feeling inspired. And I was talking to a friend about this this morning. I feel on fire at the moment. And it's not because I'm necessarily like crushing it and all the things I want to do. I'm doing all right. But I think it's just the people I'm around. There is a flow to life that anyone can tap into mm-hmm. if they're willing to really think about, you know, who the people are that give energy around them, who are the people who take it away, what we're doing with our time. Same with like our, you know, vocation and, and what our hobbies and everything. It's what feeds us. And again, I'm 41 and I'm, I'm learning this. Yeah. And certainly my list has been a premise for that, but yeah. Yeah, I think there's also, I think, and that's at least what I am seeing. Maybe it's, I don't know how accurate this is, but I'm inspired by the idea of the list because I feel like it creates this first in your life that I think over time may have compounded for energy to flow towards you. Because when you do a first of anything, really, it's not many firsts we do in life. Like if you really think about it, like there's very few firsts that we do. 
But if you do a lot of firsts, you have a different energy about first. You're more open to life and the risk of life because you just know more. Mm. Uh, you've lived more, more so than I think know more. You've kind of experienced more. You have a more aligned energy to, you know, how life, the worst case scenario is not that bad anymore because you probably have lived through many worst case scenarios at this point. And so you can surrender. I've never sort of thought about it that way. You know, a life full of firsts. I mean, definitely. I think, I mean, most things I do put me out of my comfort zone and I, you know, not to sound cliche because we all talk about this, but you know, getting out of your comfort zone is great. Being surrounded by discomfort. I think you learn about yourself, where your edges are. You become more comfortable with adversities that come. You build resilience, I think. And so I, the more I live in that realm, the, the better I am equipped for everything. I do like that. There's also this idea that if you keep doing first, you never master anything. But I don't think it's either or. I think you can do both, you know. I think ultimately in any situation, I'm just trying to feel passion and purpose in life, you know. There's a book... It's called Range, from what I remember the name, by David something. And he argues that the leaders that, in, in no way, I'm not trying to suck up to you or anything like that, <laughs> but what he argues, which has been my life, I'm not first that many, but I'm not a specialist in anything, like on nothing. You can't say Ajit is a specialist of X because I'm not. And the thing that I loved about that book and I found resonance in it is he talks about how you could be a master at something, but if you're a master at something, it is very likely right now that your career is going to find an end pretty soon because of the technological advancement. Because technology is always developed for specialization. Hmm. Because it cannot be developed for generalization. It yeah. can only be developed for specialization. So if you're a specialist technician on something, most likely there will be a technology that will be built to take away that job because that job is to be done a thousand times or a hundred thousand times. Mm. And so it's worth building a robot for it. But when you generalize, what happens is you have these overarching insight to a lot of things, which is why you may not be able to call the specialist in X, but you could see everything. And because you can see everything, you can find a problem much easier. You can find a solution much easier because you're not constrained by your specialization. You actually have a diversity of experience, which is what has been my struggle in a way, because I've always wondered, it's like, oh crap, like, what do you teach, Ajit? You know, what is your specialization? What do you, like, mm. I'm a coach. Like, you know, but coach can be anything. And I really do. I business coach people. I have life coach people. I've helped people through depression. I've, I've done everything. I have now hypnotherapy is, uh, is one of the skills that I have. I'm developing a health coaching. Like, what are you? Like, yeah. you're not specialized in anything. But I think that is why I'm able to build things that don't necessarily fit a box, mm. which has become a specialization. Yeah. But it's not in a way, which I think is what's, I think an interesting approach that you're living and you're the lived experience of it is because you haven't tried to say, you know, I will figure out how to climb Alps a thousand times. Mm. I'm just going to experience it. You can bring a perspective that I don't think many people can mm. because you have a diversity of experience that is actually pretty hard to, from the experiences that you've said, because even in my hundred list, I don't think I would ever put a thing of saying, go marry a stranger in Vegas. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's an experience. Good or bad, doesn't matter. It's yeah. an experience that would build a version or give perspective to life that is pretty hard to get mm. in any other way. I heard the other day this, you know, the jack of all trades mm -hmm. quote, a jack of all trades is a master of none. Mm -hmm. That's only half of it. It continues. Do you know this? No, I didn't. 
A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know why they don't finish it off. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's to like, your point. Yeah. It's uh, to your point. You can specialize in something, that's great. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, mastery is fantastic. But if you look to diversify and get as many experiences as, as you can, uh, yeah, um, you know, at least be good at a few of them, it's helpful. You Pretty don't have at, to be the best at one thing. It's, it's a better life experience too, in my opinion, to try yeah. different things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in that book, and again, I'm forgetting the last name of the person, in the book he talks about how, yes, there's Tiger Woods who took the club and started swinging at, what, six years old or something. But then there's, I think, Roger Federer who actually started with basketball or something. Like huh. there are tons of examples that he gives of people that you don't know the backstory of because it's not popular, mm. because they're not the traditional masters, because their backstory was they were playing like 10 different types of sports, finally landing on tennis yeah. or, or something like that. So they were not necessarily, they're good at what they do because they have perspective yeah. of 10 other sports. And I think if you start wide and you try all these things, you eventually find some things that you really enjoy. Yeah. You know, I, I love storytelling. I, I really like speaking, it turns out. I like you know, storytelling in any capacity, writing, you know, I really enjoy the, you know, the, the film side of things too. So I think no matter what it is, as long as you're curious and you're able to sort of harness that emotion of passion into the things that you're doing professionally, personally, and you move forward and you take action, you're not scared of it. I think you grow and you develop and you learn and you're able to sort of change along the way and become closer to this person that we can all be you know, the best versions of ourselves. It doesn't happen on the start line. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens only after you commit. Of course, that's the beauty of a list. Mm. You know, I love the idea that a list is so diverse. It doesn't have to be a hundred things. You could have five things. You could have one thing, but I would argue it's good to have at least a few things because then you can try different bits and pieces. And, and you know, one's physical, one's emotional, you know, one's mental. One, you know, it, the variety is, as they say, the spice to life. And I definitely recommend people to consider goals that are reflective of many aspects important to them. How do you get somebody to make that list if that's even a thing? Well, not to sound like a coach, but I have an eight-step process. But <laughs> I, I, I think permission's a really interesting word. Mm -hmm. We're not really told, hey, give yourself permission whenever you want. We, you know, from being a kid, you're, you're given permission by others. And, and I mm -hmm. sat in that place for a long time. Then I realized, oh, I can give myself permission. And it's a very common narrative that people only do that after an university, Mm -hmm. Losing someone, having an, an incident themselves, going through a hard relationship, whatever it might be. COVID for many people, many businesses too. So you can give yourself permission without having to wait for a bad moment in life. And I think once you do that, I think reflection is a very important part. I think it's good to know how you got to here. How have you showed up? What are the patterns you've developed? What's your attitude like? I think if you understand that, knowing you can't change it, you can then assess, well, where am I right now? Am I happy? Am I performing? Am I proud? might being a good friend, father, whatever it might be, colleague. And then I think you get to ask yourself, well, if I keep going in this same direction, do I end up in a place where I smile? Do I end up in a place that's good, where I'm achieving things that I think are going to make me grow as a person? And if the answer is yes, maybe you don't need to change that much. You can go back in and just enjoy. But like me, and I think it's probably the common you know, answer to that question, if I keep on going in that direction, am I happy? If the answer is well, no, you have to then see, well, what would you change right now? You know, this is the opportunity to reimagine that path forward. And it might be one degree change. It could be 180 degrees change, but I like that. So, I mean, to answer your question, I think fundamentally the foundation of a very meaningful list is having self-awareness, understanding what's really important to us, and then layering on top goals that would activate each of those areas. I've been doing a lot of work with 
corporates, we have this sort of staff development program. And we've seen that there's 12 very commonly shared areas of people's lives that are important to them. And it's not only 12, there are many more, but the common ones, I won't list them all, but are obvious. There's key relationships, romantic love, travel and adventure, creativity, impact, physical health, professional development, personal development. And I think if you're able to identify those, and then you know one extra step would be to rate how well you're doing them out of mm. 10. You know, you find that uh, I certainly found that my, my, I would call them spokes to my wheel of life, right? Mm-hmm. I'd find that my wheel was pretty unhealthy. And that's the importance of a list. You know, a list, a bucket list, whatever you want to call it. Some people might find it cheesy, but you can call it whatever you want. But ultimately, you're just identifying important things that are going to make you better. Mm-hmm. Don't have to be world-changing. Don't have to be radical. It can be very simple. In fact, most meaningful goals are. The things that really shift the needle, I feel, are quite simple. Calling up my dad and saying, I love you hanging out with my good friends more, having mm. parties where the more the positive people come, less the negative. You don't have to climb Everest, skydive naked. You know, I did that. Uh, <laughs> it was very cold, by the way, if you haven't seen the video. But yeah, that's where I think you start. Yeah, that's a great place to start. I'm also loving the idea of saying, what are some of my fears that I did this exercise when I, Nita is my second partner, my first partner. We didn't end up in a bad relationship or okay. generally at least for me. And there was a dark night of the soul I had kind of. And at that time I said, I must overcome all of my fears. And that's when I did basically anything that scared me. Like I scuba dived when I didn't know how to swim. Wow. Did uh, skydiving, oh, yeah. all of them basically, bungee jumping, skydiving, anything that I was like, there's no bloody way on earth I will do this. So much so that I didn't even tell my parents I'm doing it. So if I would actually, something would happen, they wouldn't have a clue where to call or who to call because nobody knew. I just said, I need to do this. I need to do this for myself. Mm. And I haven't done things that, I mean, I do things every day, but I've not written down and said, well, this still scares me mm. and God ahead and done that. Mm. And I feel like that would be an interesting list to make as well to say, just because I feel like every time I've overcome a fear, I've become a different person. Yeah. Like I just almost like the fear doesn't own me anymore. Yeah. Because I've done it and I'm like, ah, it doesn't, it's not scary. It's scary, but it's not, you know, it's not scary. Yeah. And I think we also underestimate ourselves. You know, yeah. we, we, by default, unfortunately, I think that as individuals or, or teams or whatever, you kind of have this theory, at least I did, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. As soon as you try, actually try, mm-hmm. the result is, oh, I didn't realize I could actually do that. Mm-hmm. What else could I do? So I think it's, you know, it's, uh, it's addictive in a sense, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, what else have I been stopping myself from doing? And then you find that you're, yeah, getting closer, edging closer every day to a, a more maximized version of yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love talking about it, but I, I really think discomfort is this gateway to growth, And I think Mm -hmm. in growth comes all the wonderful things. That is beautiful. And that's a beautiful way to end. Sebastian, is there anything that you want to leave as a closing thought with the listeners there? Smile more. It's a good thing. And it should take priority in life. And I think we all get to that smile in different ways. And it's worthwhile pausing your life for five minutes just to consider that really quickly. What would make you feel better? Because ultimately we're all bound by that. We all want to feel better. We want to feel like we're living on purpose. We all deserve to be growing. And through that, I think, comes connection with ourselves and then others. Yeah, so the question I love to ask, of course, is what's on your list? And if you can come up with just one thing, do something about it. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Sebastian, anywhere people can know more about you? Uh, sure. SebastianTerry.com is my site or um, you know, social Instagram is Seb100Things. And you know, if you see me on the street, come say hello. All right. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Oh,
Oh, oh, oh.